welcome to episode 15 of After the Ninth. I'm Cass Patterson, and this week I let him back on the mic. So Dayton Sutherland's with us. How are you doing, Date? I'm good. What's going on, everybody? Uh, well, I think the nice thing is it's sunny. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's been sun. Well, I guess I can't say it's been sunny for for weeks straight, but it feels like that because we've been laying so much water uh, on the track. I guess the last few days, finally got the water truck running uh, here, spring training at Dad's, but it's just been so so darn dry. We just can't get anything. No moisture, no luck. So praying for rain basically but we have had a little bit of snow a little bit of cold weather and, and uh, those sorts of things but um it's just so dry here it just dries right up in in a couple hours okay so i have a quick question for you because on your snapchat last week you had like this brilliant plan with the snow and harrowing and you know oh. getting uh <laughs> weight on the harrow from the snow so do you want to explain that thought process because i found it really funny to watch in all truth yeah, so like we train on this kind of hill at dad's place just uh, off of Highway 2. And um, usually we have to get a grader every single year to, you know, like smooth out the track and, and uh, level it because it's on a hill. And we use a, a, a disker or I, I'm not a farm. I don't know what it's called, but it's like a disc or something <laughs> that we pull behind the tractor. And it's so wide that and it's very heavy as well that when you're pulling it on certain parts of the track the ground is uneven so it'll like dig in one side deeper than the other and then you repeat that process for you know large numbers and then all of a sudden after you know two weeks you got a pretty uneven track so that's why we're always trying to get a grader at least once a year or so or whatever you know we we run on this track a little bit we don't let them like completely run but we let them stretch their legs a little bit and stretch their lungs so you want a pretty decent track to manage the the horses on and this year obviously well i mean i don't think it's any secret that we're not killing it as chuck wagon drivers like it's uh you know coming out of the covid year and then you know it's just a little bit slow so you don't really maybe you don't want to spend the extra two three thousand or whatever it takes to to, to get a grader out. So one day it snows a bunch, like, you know, whatever it was, I don't know, six inches or something. And uh, I go out with the harrows on the track. And I honestly, it just started, I was just trying to get the moisture into the track just because it's been so dry. And we didn't have a water truck at that point. And it started building up on top of the harrows, like all the snow because the track's all black dirt. And then, oh, I don't know, it must have been, you know, two, three, four thousand pounds of dirt and snow built up on top of the harrows. And then it was like digging so far deep into the track that it was basically in, in the hairs of the width of the track it was basically as good as a you know maybe not as, as good as a grader but it was you know good enough for me so I spent about <laughs> six hours that morning just circles around the track just trying to flatten it out as much as possible and it worked like absolutely beautifully it uh, tracks best it's been in a long time now so it took a while but uh, and it was it's a little bit hillbilly but you gotta make make how to make hay when the sun shines make rain when, rain when sunshine something like that so basically go with the method of use what you got yeah squeeze lemons right as they say well uh it's interesting to know that took six hours because i saw a 30 second uh snapchat clip so good to know yeah i kind of I'm, I'm the type too that like i get doing something then i can't like put it down so you know i was probably a little bit overkill and i absolutely dried out the track like way more than i needed to but 
you know what, it's flat, it's even, and, and uh, I was on a roll. So being on a roll, you're now training and things seem to be going good. I want to touch a little bit because last year you did that study with Dr. Renault and you had some of your horses in it and uh, some of your dad's horses were in it. And now that you're going into spring training this year, taking some of that information that you learned last year, is that maybe giving you an idea of, you know, where your horses are at or where maybe some of your horses that you had in it last year were at? Actually, Dr. Mike Scott Moore's uh, veterinary clinic just in Balzac there stopped by yesterday. And they still, I believe, are working on publishing the findings of the study. And like when they do those sorts of things, like it's a, you know, it's it's a scientific study or whatever, right? So it's it's a white paper kind of thing and it's professional and it, it takes some time. Um, we kind of obviously had an inclination of what the results would be, um, hence why they were able to get funding for the study and why they want to perform the study. And Renault is one of the, you know, world experts as far as like horse wind systems. And he's a, he's a, you know, he's a vet, he's travels the world, he studies all kinds of different horses. And, and yeah, he's, he's just, I don't know, like he's just the guru, I guess you could call him. He's an he's, um, incredible guy to listen to and, and to learn from. I mean, I, I learned a lot from him spending, you know, that amount of time with him, but I don't know that I learned anything that like gives me a secret edge this year or anything. But, you know, I learned a lot about horses and, you know, certain ones with breathing disabilities. Like, um, you know, it's pretty typical. Like you can get horses that have flappers is the general term. Horses that are longer necked in nature are usually the uh, victims of the flappers. In my estimation, you would, I don't know, it'd probably be like, Renault would kill me for saying it, but like, I'd probably have to guess like 20 to 30% have like some sort of like breathing you know, disability, but you got to keep in mind that's over the lifetime of the horse. And that's a spectrum as well. So like I have one horse named baby who has a trapped epigloitis or something it's called, which is basically all it is, is there's a, there's a flap in the throat that, you know, helps regulate the breathing or, or something. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but it's trapped basically underneath a flap of skin and the skin's grown over and, and it blocks, you know, if you were to ballpark it, maybe 20% of his breathing. But, you know, if you never, if you didn't know that, if we didn't scope him, you would never know the horse has a breathing problem. He runs, you know, harder than most horses that I have and he doesn't make a sound. So there's just things like that, that you learn that like, that I don't know if they're applicable to like my everyday life and everyday training, but nonetheless, those sorts of things that, that you find find out are like invaluable over the long run, especially when you're like buying new horses, making cutting decisions and stuff like that. The other thing that was very interesting about the study is there was two studies. There's one basically on essentially like an asthma product. And, and then we did before and after treatments on horses that, you know, were probably prone to, to asthma or, or those sorts of symptoms. And then seeing if the drug, you know, improved the asthma. And then the other study was on high backs. They call them, it's a tie back surgery, whereas there's basically like the throat is, you know, basically like a tube, it's a cylinder and there's two doors kind of, you could say that meet in the middle and, and they open and close and they, you know, will stop things from going down the throat, obviously, but then they open when they need to breathe. 
And certain horses, which is what most people will call a, a flapper or a roarer, um, will develop like a lazy door, I guess you could say. I don't know how, how <laughs> Renault explains it. I can picture it in my head because I've seen it on the screen enough times, but they'll, they'll develop like a weaker, weaker side. So then essentially it's not opening and closing and the horse isn't getting enough oxygen. They're, they're get, they might get, you know, 50% air or, or maybe 10% air in like maybe the most extreme cases. And then they'll go in and, and they'll uh, stitch those doors back, I guess. And um, it's called a tie back surgery. And uh, it's, 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 I think it's, you know, probably in the ballpark of like $3,000. Um, and it's not a hundred percent successful because it's a very, very thin layer of skin that they are tying them back to. And a lot of the times uh, the, the surgery will fail or the stitches will rip or whatever. And then, you know, there's always risk in any single surgery that you'll do. So, but, but I learned a lot about, you know, those types of surgeries and, and because you come across it so often, or at least it feels like it's so often, like I, I, um, I buy maybe if I buy 10 new horses a year, I would have to guess at least one or two of them, you know, are, are loud breathers or, or roarers or have flappers. That's not generally a medical diagnosis, but you know, you see a thousand horses and then, you know, pretty soon you can develop a pretty good idea of which ones can breathe and which ones can't. Um, just generally speaking, regardless if they have a trapped epigloitis or whatever. And the other thing too, is I think it's a spectrum where like, like some horses might have like baby might have a trapped epigloitis. That's probably the wrong word. I'm probably just repeating it over and over again. I have no idea what it's called. It's something like that, but um, they might have something like that where it inhibits their breathing, but that horse might still do better or perform better on, you know, 80% of oxygen than a canner or a can horse that, you know, has a fraction of the talent that breathes perfectly fine. So like, it does it always matter that much, you know, yes, maybe no. That's why you have to hire people like Renault or the fine people at, you know, Moore's equine to just get the data and, and, and see what's inside the, the horse's throat before you're making any rash decisions. If, if, if you can afford that, and if that's an option for you, that's actually really interesting. Fun fact. I actually did an interview with your dad at the Calgary stampede with Renault. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, like I, and, and keep in mind, like for anybody listening, like I probably butchered a lot of that. So, <laughs> you know, do your own research and do your own due diligence. That's just my interpretation of, of the information that I, I understand. And usually when you're talking to those types of guys, like it's, you know, they're very, very particular and precise on the words they choose and, and the way they explain things, because to them, it's a big difference, right? Those guys are, I mean, masters of their own craft, right? Like it's just brilliant minds and, and they're great people. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome to learn from them. Okay. Going from one type of horse, I guess, science to the next. Last time we spent like a good hour talking about sugar and you were talking about uh, kind of how he was doing in that. So do you have a sugar update? I just um, ran him a little bit today. He's, he's looking really good. He's feeling good. Yeah. I can't remember if I told the part on here where he tore his ass cheek in the winter. Um, I was really worried about that coming into spring training just because I didn't really know, you know, like what the implications of that were. And you can see on his, you know, I don't know what another word for ass, ass. And, gluteus uh, maximus. Gluteus maximus. Yeah. <laughs> 
tush. I don't know. Like you can, you can see where the muscle has been torn and it's really hard and it's, and he's missing mass there and it's like scar tissue and stuff. It's so I, I really didn't know, like, is, is this going to put a hitch in his step? I mean, obviously it did for a while. Is this going to make him hit when he runs now? Is it going to cause so much pain that he starts to, you know, develop a suspensory in the front ankle. Like there's so many things that could happen, like when something like that transpires. So I just really didn't know, but he's, he's been training great. He doesn't seem sore on it at all. I started him a little bit earlier and kind of did a rehab slow approach coming into the season, but you know what, like these horses that have big hearts, like they're just like people, you know, some, some have it, some don't, some have the ambition and the drive and, and some don't, some can make it work with a, a torn ass cheek and some can't make it work with uh, everything absolutely perfect. So it's just uh, sugar. Like he's just a horse with a ton of heart, a ton of try. And like you wouldn't, if, if you didn't see the big indent, I mean, you would never even know that there was anything even remotely wrong. He's just, you know, so tough. He just got a heart as big as a wash tub is what my grandpa would say. So you started him a little bit early. There's always, I don't know, we've talked about before. There's kind of like that science of, you know, how long from the first day you start training, blah, blah, blah. But then you don't start training the outriding horses at the same time as the wagon horses. So have you started training them yet or is that still coming? Well, we don't, but everybody else does. Like the general rule is somewhere between 30 and 45 days for a wagon guy of training, right? So you might be some guys, they might stretch out those 45 days over two or three months. Maybe they'll get 55 days but they'll start a lot slower and go a lot earlier. And then there's some guys that will start quite a bit later just because they're trying to save their horses and to, to get everything in shape and they'll get like 30 days in and then they'll start running them. But we do that with our outriding horses. We'll start on April 20th. Not many other people do that, but we'll do it with our outriding horses just because the outriding horses are different than the wagon horses. Whereas like you'll be pushing the wagon horses come Grand Prairie time, you'll be asking them to run. You'll be asking them to really try. The outriding horses don't necessarily try that hard every single time. Because if you were to turn an outriding horse loose and try and win the race, let's say, like any given outrider could win, you know, probably 80% of the races that happen on any given night. Like the outriding horse can easily outrun a wagon. So each night when you go out there, the outriding horse may only be trying at, you know, 60, 75% of his max, maybe 50% of his max. I mean, half the time as outriders were, you know, just catching them early in the second or third turn. And then we're just going for a gallop. So the outriding horses don't necessarily need as much training, in my opinion, as the wagon horses. Certain ones do, certain ones don't, but if you know that you manage it and, and you work around that. And then the other factor is that, you know, it's a long season. There's 54 race nights. You need two outright horses every single night. And um, in my opinion, it's just about, it's about building depth. Um, your, your whole life as a wagon driver is about building depth. And I'm not, I'm not trying to overtrain. I'm not trying to overuse my horses. I'm not, uh, some, uh, and, and other guys are completely different. I'm just not like that. So, um, and, and my dad and grandpa aren't necessarily like that either. Never were. So, so we just started out running horse a little bit later. So, you know, you kind of get everything rolling 
you get horses going, you get the shoes on you. And then, you know, two, three weeks later, you start the out riding horses. So, you know, we do our due diligence to make sure they're in shape and, and ready to, to run uh, come Grand Prairie time. But we just we just start them a little bit later. Well, I think that's a pretty good recap of everything going on with spring training, in my opinion. By the time our next episode of After the Ninth airs, we will be in Grand Prairie. Wow, that's hard to think of. Yeah, it's coming super quick. Like, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. We were just, you know, breaking new horses. And then all of a sudden, I'm just counting down the days. I'm like, all right, one month to Grand Prairie now. And, and you got to think, like, for us, too, it's, you know, we, we got to move to Grand Prairie. You got to start putting them into barns soon got to reshoe everything got to start like actually running them getting them in shape for you know a full run around the track like <laughs> there's just a lot of stuff coming up very very quickly in the next four weeks but it's exciting it's it's um yeah no i think it's it's a most people's favorite time of the year as far as being a wagon driver so you know we've got a full season to to look forward to and and uh we're almost there uh, 29 days from the time we're recording and 28 from the time we release this. So it's, uh, it's coming quick, but in that time, we have one more tarp sale to go. Uh, there's been three already. I've kind of broken down how Calgary and the North American truck wagon championship went, but then in between that time, we also had the Grand Prairie Stompede Gala, which was kind of interesting in my opinion. I thought it was a really well put on event and it was different than anything I'd been to, but it, it, it's interesting to see, you know, kind of how life is going and, you know, how things are kind of coming together after we're coming out of COVID and a recession. Yeah. The Grand Prairie sale, they, they knocked it out of the park. They, um, like in my opinion it is what it's what it seems like they're doing is is they're ramping up to you know continue to build that show into something even bigger than it already is because for us it's already a big show it's probably in the top you know three shows that, that we run at as wagon drivers and, and you know that means it's probably the top three shows that, that uh, wagons run at period across the entire world so it's it's a really really good event and the fact that they're you know committed to continue to build that is is awesome they put on a killer event like i said um they knocked it out of the park they had um so many different people in that room i think it was about five five hundred six hundred something like that they put on a dinner um they had a couple presenters they had some charities there I, I guess it was is more of like a more of a community approach. It wasn't just a tarp sale. They had a band. Band was awesome. It was just it was just a fun night. The tarp sale was pretty strong too. Like you said, coming out of COVID, I don't think the the oil patch is is busy enough. But I don't think companies are making the profit margins that they need to be to be expanding and and um you know really aggressive with their money so you know given all that i think that uh you know you plus just the price of commodities right now it's just crazy so given all that it was a pretty good sale i think most people were pretty happy with with what they got and um if not they were definitely satisfied so as long as you didn't have any crazy expectations, you were uh, going home with a smile on your face. And the other thing too is, is I think tarp sales are really, really beneficial for the sport. We've kind of phased them out over the years, but when you bring in a bunch of guys like Grand Prairie is right now that aren't from Grand Prairie, aren't from the WPCA, maybe like the permit drivers and uh, guarantee them. I think the guaranteed was $5,000, which is 
pretty tough to run a wagon on a thousand dollars a night. Um, just with the price of everything right now, especially over the course of 54 nights. But that said, it's a guarantee, you know, that's the, that's the low end. So, you know, you can probably break even for that or, or break even for a little more than that. And, you know, if, if you just did your homework and, and uh, brought a couple people to sale or something, it, it turned out great. So I think that they're going to do bigger and better things in the future. And it's just a big win for the, for the GP stompy. They knocked it out of the park. Yeah, it was a really fun event. And uh, I, uh, I agree. I think it was. Um, and now we have one more. We have Pinoca, which is May 6th, which is kind of the entire interview that uh, is coming up that this episode is about. But I'm excited to see what that one holds. Like Grand Prairie's wagon country. That's the peace country. It's it's that there's so many wagon people, uh, drivers from there. And then Pinoca is like, it's, well, it's, it's undoubtedly our second biggest show. I mean, aside from Calgary. And I think it's pretty fair to say that Pinoca is probably most guys' favorite show to run at just because of the production that they put on, the rodeo, the, the branding, the people. Like, Pinoca is not a very big town. You get it to the, you know, Pinoca Stampede, and it's like, you know, thousands of people gathered. The, the, the grandstands are loud. Everything's professional. It's all, like I said, branded very well, matching. It's great stock. It's, it's, it's right in the peak of the season uh, for wagon racing. So you're getting the best wagon racing that, you know, money can buy, regardless of, of the prize money or whatever like as far as calgary but it, it's as competitive as wagon race you can get not to mention you know there's there's four wagons there in pinoca it's just such an awesome show they got a nice track um i could just list goes on and on and on forever like since i was just a, a small kid like pinoca was always always my favorite my favorite to ride at to outride at to drive at everything so I think everybody's super excited just to, to be back at the Pinocchio Stampede again. And, you know, they did a Pinocchio Stampede last year, but it wasn't like the full production. It, they did that last year in support of wagons, largely because we need a place to run. But this year, it's like, all right, this is the real thing again. Like, it's it's something to really, really get excited about. And, and for me, like, you know, it's it's the biggest show that I can compete at this year so it's 100 percent a highlight of my summer and i'm really really looking forward to it the tarp sale is may 6th given the calgary tarp sale and the grand prairie tarp sale first thing is is pinoca is probably going to do a really good job with tarp sale again they always do pretty standard it's always in that stagecoach saloon around five six o'clock i i believe it starts i'd have to check the dates for sure it um, starts but, at five with dinner and then 6 30 is when the sale starts yeah. So if you've never been to tarp sale, they, they, they'll do a little dinner. You got to buy tickets, I'm sure. Um, then once the sale gets underway, they'll start with usually the top end guy and then they'll, he'll get, get up on stage and Les um, McIntyre will auction it off. And then we'll, we'll work down the list and that's about it. It's, it's, it's pretty simple. So that's always the last one too of the year. It's the last tarp sale of the year, every single year. And it's just kind of the final uh, nail in the coffin for like everything's over. We got two more weeks after this or whatever it is. And, and then we're, you know, ready to run. So I guess that takes us right into my interview with Jim Harbridge. He really went in depth about quite a few things and here we go. 
And we are on the line with Jim Harbage. How are you doing today, Jim? Oh, great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. No problem. I'm excited to chat about this. Uh, we're coming up to our last tarp sale for the 2022 season. And then, you know, that means we actually get the wagons rolling. So I'm excited for that part. <laughs> we are too. It's been, it's been a long time. I want to first kind of start off with what's your history with the wagons and how did you end up getting involved in Pinoca? It goes back a long ways. It's, uh, I think the first time I was involved with volunteering at the Pinoca Stampede, I was about I think 14 and I was riding steers and I was, we moved to Pinocchio in 1976 and this would have been about 81 I think and I was hanging around the rodeo grounds and, and knew lots of the people on the board and and that evening there wasn't much to do so I got involved by uh, taking the stoves out of the wagons after they came back after their uh, their victory lap and it's kind of been uh, that was about 41 years ago so I've, I've kind of been involved ever since I've been on the board for about nine years and uh, became the, the wagon director just before COVID so last fall's September meet was the first time I actually uh, was responsible for the wagon races during a show, but uh, I've been the wagon director for the last three years as well. So you got to kind of, not kind of, you were involved in bringing truck wagons back to Pinocchio last year for the Wild West Championship when we weren't yeah. sure if we were going to get to race there. And then to everyone's delight, we got to come and PBR came and it was just a really fun weekend. Oh, it, it turned out great. And we weren't sure of anything until about a week before it happened either. And, and even the day it started, we weren't sure about a lot of things, but, but everything came together and, you know, the, the wagon drivers were great. The WPCA was awesome to work with. And of course we have the best fans in the whole world and they showed up and, and made it a great show and it was awesome. So it was a really great way to, to start things off after a big gap. Being in that uh, arena, just the Saturday and the Sunday, the adrenaline was there. And like you said, the fans were there and it, it was a really cool atmosphere to be around after not having any shows a year before. Oh, you bet. And the Saturday night was one of the best nights we've ever had. It's in the top 10 ever. And that's just unbelievable. But everything just lined up. You know, the weather was good. The rules were going to change right after. So everybody wanted to get one last party in before we shut down again. And and the stars just lined up. And a month before that, we weren't even sure we were going to have anything. So uh, it came together really quick. We've got a fantastic board in Pinocchio and everybody worked really hard together to get it going. The WPCA was awesome. And then the drivers and all the competitors from every association that came and supported it were, were fantastic. But it not, doesn't work without the fans. And the fans that night were just amazing. So uh, I hope they all enjoyed it. We put on the best show we could. So when it comes to, you know, this upcoming tarp sale, it is the first one in two years. We are coming out of... COVID. We're coming out of kind of a downturn in the economy. We have been to two other tarp sales, actually three, including the North American Chuck Wagon Championship. So there's kind of been trends set of where we're seeing the money going and how we're seeing it happen. So what is Pinoca's kind of view and what's your view heading into this tarp sale, hoping to get the best bang for the buck for these sponsors and the drivers? For sure. Yeah, I, we've uh, we've done a few things, cast to, uh, to try and make the tarp sale a little better. We've added a few different categories so that the bigger buyers get a little more in terms of rewards from the Pinocchio Stampede as well. They've always got a great value from the drivers that they purchase. And again, we have the best fans in the world. So if you can get your logo in front of those fans, they support you. And that that drives the whole thing. But uh, we've done a little bit more this year to try and increase the value that the sponsors get from the Pinocchio Stampede to make them know that they're a, a very important part of the Pinocchio Stampede and not just a sponsor of that individual tarp. And hopefully that works better to, to bring more money in for the drivers and, and gives more value to the sponsors because they feel that personal connection to the Pinocchio 
Pinocchio Stampede. We, we couldn't do it without the sponsors. And we're hoping to recognize that a little bit more with our tarp sale. And I think we're, you know, everything looks really good right now. And after the last two or three years, you don't want to really predict anything, but we're hoping for a very strong tarp sale. All the other ones have been fantastic and looks like the economy is rolling. So people do have more money to promote their business and, and hopefully we can give them a good venue to line up with a, a driver and, and bring some of that value back to the companies that sponsor. I took a look at those different sponsorship packages that you guys had put out. And what I found really interesting is the jackets you guys had put in that they got jackets with Pinocchio Stampede on it. Yeah. And then it kind of went by tiers of how much was spent. Those sponsors who spent, you know, really big money got more in their package. And I think one of the packages included a belt buckle and a jacket and tickets and, you know, all sorts of different things. So that I think is probably the most interesting part. Well, we, we just want people to be recognized that they are part of it. And, you know, the jackets are a small thing we can do so that they feel like they're part of it. You know, that's the one thing that sets Pinocchio apart is when you come, you're so much closer to everything. You don't have to take the train down and, you know, in a town of 6,000 people, that's not going to happen. But you're so close to everything that is part of the show that you're part of it. And we can't do it without the people. And it's not just about corporations and it's not just about logos on, on signs. It's about the people that are involved. And when you take a little piece of that home with you, we hope that you feel like you're part of the Pinocchio Stampede. So that's, that's what we're sure trying to do is make them feel like they're part of it and have the people that see them in that jacket, ask them why, and they get a little more mileage out of it too. You know, that they can tell people they're a part of the Pinocchio Stampede and and hopefully they get that little bit of extra value from their sponsorship because it's all about people. I think after the last two and a half years of Zoom calls, everybody needs that interaction with people. That's what everybody's craving and we hope we can deliver that. As you say that while we're sitting on a Zoom call. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, we've all done a lot of that. So, I mean, it, it's great to have technology too. I mean, we use technology. Our tarp sale will be broadcast over the satellite livestock sale. People can bid online if they want to. They can view the sale online. All those details are available on our website on PinocchioStampede.com. And it, the technology makes everything better. We have the broadcast of our, our races on, on Sirius with the WPCA. We try and live stream as much as we can too, just to get more of our brand visible to the world. But it doesn't replace the people part. And I think that's what everybody's looking forward to for this summer. So do we know, or do you guys know who the auctioneer is this year for the Pinocchio Stampede? We're still working on that. And uh, the Livestock Marketers Association of Canada has their uh, competition the same weekend. And so the same evening as our tarp sale, they're going to be in Lloydminster. But Blair Vold is in charge of the, the auction portion. And Blair is one of the best professionals in the auction business in Canada. And uh, rest assured, we'll have a, a very good auctioneer to handle the sale. But uh, I just don't have the name right now. So as we head into the summer and head into wagon season and heading into Pinoca, it is an exciting show because again, it's one of the biggest shows. It's one of the top three when it comes to money, atmosphere, in general, just the size of it is one of the top three. And it is probably the biggest one on the WPCA circuit. Because what people don't know is Stampede's not actually on our circuit. It's sure. a separate show. So going back a couple of years, when Stampede announced their rules and the changes that they were making, did you guys ever look at it and wonder, should we make the same changes? We're always looking to see if we're doing the right thing. 
And we want to make sure that we run the best races possible as safely as possible for the livestock and for the drivers. We want to make sure that safety is a priority. And we feel that we have that. We've got a huge arena. We've got a big track. We've built our whole facility to try and make safety the, our biggest priority. Our track is maintained as good as we can. I mean, it's an outdoor sport, as Reg Johnstone famously said one year after it rained about eight inches. But, you know, the conditions change, but everything we can do to make it safe, we do. And we have a great safety record at Pinoco. We hope to maintain that. So uh, we understand what Calgary did, but Calgary is Calgary and Pinoca is Pinoca. And we're we're going to stick with the same format that we have been going with. And we feel that uh, unless things change, that's, uh, that's the way we're going to go. I think that four wagons on a track truly is one of the most exciting things out there. And uh, sure. as uh, Kurt Benzmiller has said, if you took that away, that it changes the sport completely. So I'm glad to see yep. that it stays that way at Pinoca. Yeah, it's uh, something we're not going to change anytime soon, I don't think. So. As we look into like the future and bettering the sport and continuing to grow the sport, how does Pinoca hope to do that? Good question. I know I've listened to uh, some of your podcasts. I know uh, the last one that you had on with Dayton talked a lot about that. We don't really know for sure what the future is going to look like, but what we can do to make sure that Chuck Wagon Racing has a good future is we continue to want to put the very best competitors in the world in front of the best fans and sponsors in the world. And as a venue, everything we can do to up our prize money so that there is more money to compete for, I think is the best thing we can do. As far as developing the sport, we work very closely with the WPCA. And it's it's one of the things that the association and the drivers and the whole sport have to work together. And they have been doing that very well for the last several years. But as far as Pinoca goes, we feel the most important thing we have to do is put the very best show we can in front of the spectators and and in front of the sponsors. If you give people enough money to compete for, and we've tried to raise it as much as we can whenever we can, then hopefully we can keep the sport viable from an economic standpoint. And that takes so much pressure off so that some of these younger drivers can compete. One of the things we also do on the tarp sale is we guarantee a floor price for the tarps so that we guarantee that the minimum bid for a tarp is at a, an acceptable level so that at least the, the lowest selling tarps get enough to to get them through the week. We think that's very important. It's one of the things that we really work hard on is to try and make sure that not only the top drivers, but the whole field has enough money to remain viable while they're there at Pinoca. We know that it's expensive to go down the road and uh, everything we can do to try and make that work for everybody is is what we try and do for sure. You know, it's one of the things that at Pinoca, it's, we do a lot of things and sometimes it's hard to see where they all fit into the overall show. But one of the reasons that we went out and, and built our, our luxury suites a few years ago was we're trying to get more money to put back into the competitors' pockets, whether it's the rodeo or the wagon races. We try and keep our tickets in the grandstand reasonable. You know, we want you to be able to come and spend $25 and see the best wagon races in the world. We could triple that and charge more and try and give people money back that way. But we feel that that's not the way we wanted to go. So we're looking more at the corporate suites as a way for us to get more income that we can put back in the competitors' pockets. And we build a lot of things at Pinoca. We've got a fantastic facility, but it's mostly there to make sure we can get that prize money back into the competitors' pockets. We know unless we have the best competitors in the world we won't have the show that we want to have would Pinoca ever be the place where we go back to four outriders 
Well, it sure worked for a lot of years. It's something we would love to do. For a long time, it wasn't really possible because it didn't seem like there was enough outriders. I mean, 10 years ago, we had enough trouble finding two. So we have talked to the WPCA about increasing the number of outriders, uh, maybe start with three and then look at four if that works. So it's something we're very open to. Economically, we didn't want to start into it this year because we're still getting back on our feet after COVID. And we understand that it costs a lot of money to bring those extra outriders. And we didn't want to take that out of the driver's pockets. We want to make sure that if we're asking them to bring more, that we give them more. So uh, it's definitely something we're looking at for the future, but uh, but it won't happen this year. But yeah, we're, we're wide open for, for what the future brings. Like I said, we've got a huge arena and a big track. We've got the room for it. And with the professionals that the WPCA brings, we know that we can do it safely because we did it for a lot of years with four outriders and it worked great. One of those things that I am a big believer in, and I always say I might be speaking at a turn, but I think hosting an outrider clinic would be very important, especially to get younger guys, newer guys to come in and be a part of it. But the question always has been when I bring that up is where would we do it? Would Pinoka be somewhere that we could, you know, hold this outrider clinic and, you know, help these younger kids and younger athletes come in? Philosophically, we'd love to, to have a look at something like that because we try and, and develop the youth in, in all the, the sports that we have. But, you know, we've, we've done things like that with high school rodeo and things on the rodeo side. It's never really come up before on the wagon side, but we'd sure look at it for sure. It's We've got a great facility for that. And we want to make sure that our grounds gets used for more than a week a year, and it sure does. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, something if uh, if someone wanted to, to give us a call and talk about it, I'm sure we could, uh, we could look at that for sure. I really don't make any decisions. I'm more of a philosophical person. So anything I put out there, it's nothing that, you know, has any weight bearing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the world needs lots of ideas. So I'm really good at throwing those out on here. If you've noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Another, like if you've listened, uh, you know, another passion of mine is production and putting Mm -hmm. on the best production we can for the sport and getting the fans, you know, brought in and getting the fans interested. And looking back to when I was younger, I remember Brian being there and being an announcer and in there and interacting. Is there something like that that could be brought back to Pinoka and to, you know, other venues to get people involved and get that camaraderie almost between the fans and the sport and not just have, you know, that slight delay between one heat to the next? That's a great point. It's uh, it's something that we, uh, last year we had a, a real short time to put the show together, but we are looking at different ways for the production of the show to make it more interactive. We work with feature productions on the video side. They can do a lot to, to get things up on the Jumbotron in front of the crowd in between heats, like you say, to, to fill that dead air. I think brain scientists tell us that everybody's attention span has gotten shorter in the last 10 or 15 years, and that's just the way things are. The whole world works that way, so we have to have something in front of the family that keeps them engaged and that's one way to do it for sure and and we are looking at uh, changing our production a little bit and making it a little better for this year and uh, hopefully we'll have a few new things that uh, that people can see and and uh, and keep them engaged I mean we try on things like social media but that's a little distant from the show and we want to do what we can to make the show as good as possible for the people that are sitting in the stands for sure that's exciting to hear that because I think that is something uh, another thought I've always had is you know before before the show even happens, 
when you're telling everybody how the wagons work and that almost not stealing from PBR, but taking the idea from PBR of almost using um, fireworks going around the barrels to show, you know, this is the track and this is the figure eight. Um, I always think that would be an interesting idea and really grab people's attention right off the bat, but that's just me personally. <laughs> So <laughs> sounds like maybe we should have you come to a couple meetings and, and throw some ideas at us because we're not afraid to steal the good ones. I spend way too much time thinking about this, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I'm excited to hear that there is, you know, things coming down the pipeline that are going to be different this year for the production. And, you know, maybe they will help another little girl down the road uh, become obsessed with chuck wagon racing and maybe she'll kick me out of my spot and start a podcast. So... <laughs> Well, that's the goal. We're always looking to bring new people to our event and to the sport and uh, anything we can do to make their experience better just makes it more likely that they're going to enjoy it and come back. You guys have a really, really good music lineup this year. Like We sure do. It is top notch. I am absolutely ecstatic. I have ideas, but I want to kind of hear from you. How sure. could we integrate wagons and those music acts almost? to, you know, promote each other, promote Pinoca, make it so that this event isn't just, you know, single events all brought together, but it's For one sure. and everybody's together. Yeah. It's a great question. It's uh, something that we work hard on too. And part of the reason that we select the acts that we do is we're trying to bring acts that attract different people. We know we've got a great core wagon crowd that'll come. It could be snowing six inches and they would still be sitting in the grandstand. And we need new people to come and, and join them and see what it's all about. So what we try and do is um, we try and bring in acts like Coulter Wall that maybe appeal to a different group of people than the Rec Laws or Aaron Goodman. And uh, this year we went with all Canadian acts just to try and limit the exposure we have to COVID things at the border. But uh, we found the best ones we could. We're working with uh, Sakamoto agencies out of Lethbridge to get the very best bands that we can. And uh, we always put the concerts in with the wagons uh, for a one price ticket. We try and keep the price reasonable there so that people can come and enjoy a very good show in that $50 range and get the wagon, the whole wagon experience plus the concert at the end. And like you say, I think we probably need to do a little bit more on the marketing to, to bring those two things together in the public and just make sure that everybody is aware of the value they can get out of the show and, and what they're going to see when they get there for sure. I, uh, I've reached out to the Rec Laws to do a podcast with them, hopefully in Pinoca, because um, I don't think many people know this, but they had a song that they actually donated funds back to Thoroughbred Racing and, uh, oh, really? wow. and supporting that. So I really thought that that was an interesting story to bring. So I, I now kind of want to move into Pinoca Stampede Royalty. We've interviewed Katie Lucas and I've become pretty good friends with her and she swears that it is the best place and it's the best family to be a part of and the committees and the board are just above anything else. This year you guys have a new royalty base. How does royalty get incorporated in wagons and how how does that all kind of work? Because I don't think people... They know how royalty works in the sense of how they become royalty, but I don't think they understand how royalty works and what actually happens during the time. That's a great question. Um, our tradition with Stampede Royalty, especially with our Stampede Queens, goes back a long time. It, it kind of died out for a while, but we've brought it back in recent years and we've been lucky to have some exceptional 
uh, young ladies in that position like Katie Lucas and and like all of them they just they add a little bit more shine to our our event because uh, most of us board members that's not really what we're best at we're not the shiniest bunch but we we try and get the work done but uh, it's nice to hear that that Katie thinks that uh, we are a family because we try and we try and act like that with everybody and, and you know with every family sometimes there's disagreements and squabbles but at the end of the deal I hope that when the royalty comes in, they feel like they are a very important part of the show because they are. They are our representative to the crowd and the fans and the contestants, and hopefully they can kind of bridge all of those things. When the the Stampede Queen starts her week in Pinocchio, she doesn't get many hours off. I mean, they, they get a little time to sleep, but it starts in the morning. They go to community events. They go to the rodeo in the afternoon. Things like the special rodeo that we have, the challenge rodeo that the WPCA drivers support in, in fantastic uh, numbers. They're always there, and they're always there till the very last kid uh, uh, has had a ride on the little chuck wagons and had a chance to pet the petting animals and things like that. So, And then in the evening for the wagon races, they're there mostly uh, going through the crowd, just making sure that that they can put a face to the Pinocchio Stampede Queen. She's right there and you can talk to her. And uh, again, it comes back to the whole thing about people. We're trying to engage all the people and make them feel like they are a part of it. And you don't have to be wearing the, the hat and the crown to be a part of the Stampede family. And, and the Stampede royalty is just another way for us to do that. It, it's just another way to put a very professional face on our organization. And we, we hope people know that they can go up and talk to any of us on the board. We're always wearing the same shirts. So we're easy to find, but our Stampede Royalty too is, is there to uh, to help your experience. If you have any questions, if there's anything that you want to say or just want to meet them, please feel free to come say hi to any of us. You talk about community. You talk about getting out there in the community. Is there a way to get our wagon drivers out to community events? and get them in front of the community and not just on Pinocchio Stampede grounds, but, you know, further out there and build that awareness. Because again, going, people have heard this story and they're probably sick of me telling it in all truth. But (laughs) one of my favorite memories is during Calgary Stampede going to Shaw GMC and getting to meet Mm -hmm. Joe Carberry and Jason Glass. And that was the only time I ever got a sprinkled donut because my mom said it was too much sugar, but that was how (laughs) I remembered it. And it's one of my absolute favorite memories. So is there a way to bring that to Pinoca? Definitely. It starts at the tarp sale for us. Uh, the tarp sale, which is on Friday, May the 6th in the evening at our Stagecoach Saloon, is a, the first real public event that we have to kick off Stampede season. Everybody can come. You can bid at the sale. You can just watch the sale. There's a there's a meal there that we provide. And it's a really good chance for everybody to kick off Stampede season. And all the drivers are there. Their sponsors are there too. If you want to go up and say hi, they're, they're all there. So we really invite people to come. And, and watch and we do get a lot of community people coming to to just watch the, the sale it's a it's a great way to start the whole stampede season it's maybe a little more challenging during the stampede week to get everybody out there but uh, yeah we we do work with some of the sponsors the sponsors will work with some of the drivers at their local businesses to come out to events like that this year one of the things that's uh, that's new is uh, we'll have so we'll have a meet and greet in front of the grandstand just at the start of the rodeo for the wagon drivers because it's one of those times in the day when they probably have a little bit of time for things like that there's always things going on on at the barns and as you get closer to evening it just gets so much busier but uh, every day just prior to the rodeo we will have a table out front where you can sit and, and visit with the drivers and get an autograph and, and things like that so we're doing things like that and and again it's when the sponsors uh, come to the tarp sale it's just one more opportunity to, to bring those drivers down and they can have a personal experience like you had I mean that's that's what people remember is how it affected them so the more people you can get uh, the drivers in front of and they're all great people they all know uh, the value of supporting their sponsors 
So it's just another way that people can get engaged with the stampede. That is probably the coolest thing I've heard that's happening this year is that that signing is happening because truck wagons is a sport where you can't do that after the races. You can't no, <laughs> go. They're so busy. <laughs> yeah. Can't go back behind yeah, the, the barn and say, here's the horses. I got to go do this. So the fact that that's happening sure. before the rodeo is super exciting and something that I'll be sure that on our pages, we promote that's happening. So people will come you and bet. do it and see it. I guess for, for me, what could we as media do to help Pinoca and help the truck wagons and, you know, keep building this heritage? What can we do now to keep it going? I think you're doing uh, the most important thing. You're, you're showing people how things really work, um, an honest, open appraisal of the way the whole uh, wagon family uh, hangs together is, uh, it's one of those things that a lot of people don't know much about. It's like any, anything that's in the public eye, there's the public side that you see, but everything that happens behind the scenes is more or less invisible. By talking about the people like us on the board that put the shows on and try and do the best job for the customers, I, I think that's that's all you can do is is just try and bring more attention to it. People see the event, they see the sport part, and that's exciting. But the more you know about how that is put together, the more interesting it is because you can make a personal connection to it. And you know, just just keep talking and and don't stop with crazy ideas because you know we need new blood in in everything. Everything changes. I mean, everything's changed so much in the last few years. It's just unbelievable. But if we don't have fresh ideas and fresh dialogue about what's going on in the business, it will die. So just keep talking about it, bring it to as many people as you can. We have our own social media people that uh, that we try and uh, get as many things out to the public and by whatever venue, and that's always changing. It's just getting it out in front of a whole bunch of people. It's uh, We're a town of 6,000 people, but an hour and a half away, there's there's probably 3 million people and probably 2.5 million people don't even know we're doing anything that weekend. So it's uh, the more we can get it out to the public, the better off we will be. So just, just keep having those dialogues. It's uh, it's fantastic that you're you're doing this and that people that are younger like yourself are, are so engaged with it. That That's what has to happen for the whole thing to, to be sustainable. Well, thank you for that. And it's very interesting. You keep saying you're a town of 6,000 people. Yet on Instagram, you have 14,000 followers. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. It's and, and the town of Pinoca for the week of stampede. I mean, we still have free camping. It, it's like the Costco hot dog. It's one of those things that we don't want to change. And we could have 4,000 people, 5,000 people camping there for the week. So it's, uh, it becomes a whole, uh, different village. And, uh, uh, the, the town of Pinoca is fantastic. They support us a lot, but the people that come from outside are, are part of our family for that week. And that, that's how we hope to treat them. Well, from what I've heard is hotels in Pinoca the week of Stampede are already sold out. Oh, for sure. So, I mean, we're what, two months, three months, two and a half months out from the Stampede and people are already, we're there, we're booked, we're done. So that yeah. is a very exciting thought. So to end off the podcast, I would like to know what is your personal favorite memory of track wagon racing? It can be when you started off, it can be, you know, in the past 10 years, but personally, what is a memory that, you know, you look back and that's track wagon racing to you. That's what you tell people about. I oh, haven't told many people about this, but when I was probably about 16, I was working for Frank Mickey up at the grounds uh, just as a summer job. And I was working on the old back gate. And this was before the wagon started. It was probably three or four days before the rodeo. But some of the wagon outfits had pulled in and they were there 
for the week, just kind of getting things ready. And I was working, I think I was painting on the, on the back gate. So I was up fairly high and I saw this outriding horse kind of come up towards the track and it just looked like a snake. It was going everywhere. It was sideways. It was up and down and there was an old gentleman on it. And the, there wasn't a millimeter of air between him and the saddle. And I wondered who could ride that horse. And, and this would have been probably about 1984 and it was old Tommy Dorchester and Tom wasn't weakening an inch. And at that point in his life, Tom could hardly walk when he got off the horse. But uh, when he came up that, that horse, by the time he got it up there, it was acting like a horse again. It wasn't like a snake. And uh, just being around that and seeing, you know, the work that everybody does to put things on like that. And then that just showed me what wagon racing is about. I mean, it's the, the horsemanship is unbelievable to be able to run a business and an outfit and make it just through a season is, is a, a skill that many people don't have, but just the relationship that they have with their horses. I mean, that just, you know, what happens in the arena happens in the arena, but all the stuff that happens before that is uh, what fascinated me. And, and just watching how, you know, the people could, uh, could handle those thoroughbreds just, just it kind of blew me away. And it's one of the things I'll always remember. So you've probably seen both Kelly Sutherland and now Mark Sutherland win Pinocchio. For sure. Did that ever cross your mind when Mark won two years ago that you've now seen both generations win and quite possibly oh, Dayton sure. could be behind? Yeah, you bet. And uh, and Tommy Glass and Jason Glass and 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 the Benz Millers. It, it's the family heritage is is great, and you can see you know the the families that that know how to win teach that to the new generations, and it just makes the everybody better. But uh, yeah, when uh, when you've been watching it for forty years, you you see a lot of changes, but there's common themes and uh, and that family heritage is just so strong in the in the wagon industry and, and that, that's part of what makes it great i mean it's a it's a whole big family thing and, and like i said it's like our board uh, we act like family too and sometimes that means you fight a little bit but uh, at the end of the day everybody comes out and they all pull in the same direction and hopefully we put on uh, a great event and i think wagon racing has a really strong future because of its heritage so i hope things continue the way they are one thing I didn't mention, um, and I kind of wanted to get your opinion on how this works. So we have permit drivers this year, which mm -hmm. is very exciting because it's another way that you're going to grow the sport and build it. And uh, young guys yeah. like Cruz Benz Miller are coming in and stuff like that. So during Pinocchio, there's, I guess, if we talk hockey terms, wild card spots. And I put yep. really nice air quotes around that. But those spots or who's going to be in those spots is not known. That's right. So how is that sold at Pinocchio? So at, yeah, at the tarp sale, uh, they will be sold as wildcard spots. And uh, we'll explain who will fill those spots when the when the wagon races come to Pinocchio. We're hoping that it gets some attention because it's something new to the sport. We know that the younger drivers probably aren't going to be the ones that are in the last heat for the, the dash for cash on, on the last night. But it brings some more attention to the sponsor that buys those because nobody knows. So everybody's going to be curious as to who does that. And I think after last September, when we saw the caliber of the drivers that came from the other associations to support our event, the wild West event on labor day, you know, we were thrilled at how professional they were. They were absolutely fantastic to work with and they they put on a great show i think it, it opened people's eyes to the fact that there are other drivers out there that are up and coming and everybody wants to see who they are so hopefully that'll bring some attention to the sale too and and maybe those wildcard spots will sell for more than some of the ones where we do know who the drivers are so it'll be interesting to see how that sale goes that you never want to predict an auction sale but uh, i think it's going to be very strong and hopefully having something different like that adds more interest to it too perfect i uh is there anything i didn't touch on I don't think so. I think uh, I think we covered everything. I think it was uh, 
it was great to have a chance to, to talk to all your listeners. And uh, like I say, if they would need any more information about anything, PinocchioStampede.com has everything. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And our, the rodeo office phone number is on the website. If anybody has any questions, you can sure get a hold of us. We, uh, we love to talk to people. And if you want to get involved, be a volunteer. Anything that you want to do to be part of our family, we'd, we'd welcome. Perfect. Well, uh, your guys' Instagram is very responsive. So whoever runs that, they're amazing. I say thank you to them because this podcast would not have happened without them. And yeah, that's it for me. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Jim, for joining us on After the Ninth. Uh, there was a few interesting things there, but I more want to touch on the outriding aspect, Dayton, because you talked about it a little bit in the beginning. But as he said there, Pinocchio would be open to bringing back four outriders, which we've talked about before and is quite interesting. And he talked about the fact that, you know, there's been trouble in the past getting enough outriders to have that four outriders. And now there's the financial aspect of bringing an extra horse down the road of, you know, paying that extra outrider and that, but they do want to bring it back because it's a part of the sport and it's part of what makes it entertaining. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I think if you did a poll amongst the drivers, it would probably be somewhere around 50, 50, as far as four outriders, um, just for the, you know, daunting fact that you'd have to have realistically probably two to three or four extra outriding horses depending on how many shows had four outriders which is you know if, if this year it was at least 1500 maybe two thousand dollars to winter a horse so you multiply that by you know two to four whatever and then you got to buy the horses and then you got to go through probably three horses per spot that you have to fill to find one that works so it's it's a huge added cost for us sport that you know isn't that lucrative as is if at all so i think that's why if you ask the guys it would probably split down the middle however all that said it is a hundred percent in my opinion something that has to happen again because we've talked about it before like you said but it, it starts from the bottom up and and we need more participants in the sport we need to grow the sport we need to develop outriders we need to develop wagon drivers we need to you know bring in more barn hands that that uh, become farriers and then become outriders and become drivers and it's just uh any more people that we can get in that infield competing every night is is a is a positive for the sport regardless of the of the cost and you know maybe we could phase it in um i think as you guys were talking about like with possibly starting with three and then moving into four or something as far as getting the outriders to come or, or building new outriders if you build it they will come there's enough cowboys out there in the world that and, and outriding pays good enough and, and it's fun and it's not you know incredibly taxing on your body like bull riding is or something or maybe it's not as expensive to get into as say something like roping where you have to buy a rope horse or, or travel a lot or whatever so you know if if you just started it if we could just get a spot for these kids to come to get an opportunity i don't think we'd have too much problem filling the filling the shoes but it, it's something that in my opinion would be integral to the sport and uh, i am wholeheartedly unequivocally uh yes for bringing in four outriders well i yeah I, that's an interesting thing to me and i mean one of the things that me and him talked about was pinoco would be open to you know being kind of 
the place possibly to hold an outrunning clinic, which you've been part of, you know, kind of looking at back when uh, the WCA was looking at bringing back outriders. So do you think that's maybe something that would help? Well, yeah, like, like Pinocchio is the, the obvious place to bring back four outriders too, right? Like that's just, it's just um, to have an outriding school to do whatever, like anything <laughs> that you have to promote the sport or, or, or try something new or whatever, like the Pinocchio Stampede is the place they are. That is part of their brand. They are open to expanding the sport and, and, and helping and, and facilitating that that change and that growth so um whether it's an outriding school or, or bringing back the outriders or whatever i mean maybe you want to bring in another heat or something i don't know but they're they're completely supportive of, of a lot of the things that we aim to do as a sport so if if, if they thought that it helped them as well bringing in four outriders or or and if we had to do that bring in possibly a, a annual school or something then yeah yeah absolutely it would it would totally be something that we could do and uh it's something that that's happened in the past quite a few times there's been lots about writing schools like you said i've been a part of a couple and usually i would say you probably get one to two outriders out of each school you might get 15 kids show up and you know a handful decide right away it's not for them and and a handful really want to and, and they're just not there yet and then a handful lasts for a couple years and then one or two stick around for the long run so they're, they're beneficial that way too and, and guys are able to send some horses in drivers and, and they get some horses jumped on and stuff and, and they figure out if, if the horses are going to be good enough to outride on and yeah it's, it's good for everybody so there's no no harm in outride school well i think that's uh pretty much it for now um excited to see what happens this season the next time that we record will probably be in grand prairie in all truth so that one will probably actually record in the same place yeah for for probably the first time ever i would think no we did one in Century Downs in 2019. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, which is weird. We're not that far apart, but I guess it's just more of a schedule thing. <laughs> I mean, I've been out there to uh, kind of see the horses and hopefully I'll be out there sometime this week. So yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> but yeah, we'll be in Grand Prairie. And then there's a few guys who have already kind of said they'll uh, do interviews this summer. So this year, I have a good feeling is going to be very different than last year where we went silent the entire season and we'll actually have some content out and we have some new stuff coming out too, or I guess I do because you'll be running and I'll be running a camera, but we'll have the race review again, which was a nightly recap of, you know, the races. And uh, maybe this year we can get you on a couple of those to, you know, give your input Absolutely. I got, I'm full of opinions and full of BS. So I'm, I'm up for that. And then uh, kind of continuing some stuff with the horses. So I'm excited. It's going to be a fun and jam packed 12 weeks. Yeah, I can't wait. Like I said, we're uh, 20 something days out now from uh, moving to Grand Prairie and, and uh, couldn't come quick enough. And, and we're just busier than hell trying to keep up with everything, but it's uh, it's a good kind of busy and it's good to be busy again. Are you and your dad on going to head up uh, like you did back in 2019, a few weeks beforehand? No, not a few weeks. Cause then we'd be heading up like in a week, but I would like to head a little bit earlier just because it's um, you get there and you can kind of settle in and, and maybe hook a couple horses on the new track or whatever, or a, or a nicer track than our, we are right now um, and get a better feel for the horse's fitness 
Um, because right now it's, it's kind of hard to tell in the field, right? Cause you don't, you know, you, the, the surface is different and, and the distance is different and there's a hill and it's just, but that said, you know, we, we need to get X amount of days in to, 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 to truck train. So it's just, it's just a timing thing. It's, it's hard to predict the things like the weather and how many days we're going to miss from, from now till then. And so we'll, we'll see, we'll play it by ear, but ideally I'd like to get up at least a week early. Awesome. Well, we will see you next time. Bye for now. He's got that wagon in full flight. Here's the wire. But that's a damn the